0: Imagine James Bond. Before Bond goes on a mission, he gets some vital equipment from Q. On one mission, he got a special ring that had a way to emit an ultra-high frequency, which when put up to a window, shattered the glass. On this mission, Bond snuck into North Korea undetected. But imagine what kind of consequences there would be if he lost the ring while in North Korea. If the North Korean government found the ring, they would analyze it and they would discover its cutting-edge technology, and possibly be able to reproduce that technology for themselves, essentially putting the technology in the wrong hands. And when analyzing the ring, they may even be able to track down its origins to MI5. This would mean that just by finding the ring alone, North Korea could deduct that there was a British spy in their country. This could cause numerous problems, maybe even a war. In the internet world, where governments hack other governments, It's crucial to not let the enemy know you're there or capture your hacking techniques, because if they do, it could have devastating consequences. This is Darknet Diaries. True stories from the dark side of the internet. I'm Jack Recider. This episode is brought to you by SpyCloud. For some people, ignorance is bliss. But for you, as a security practitioner, that's not the case. I went to spycloud.com to check into my Darknet exposure, and I won't tell you what it is, but spoiler alert, I found some things that are pretty eye-opening. From breach exposures to info stealing malware infections, knowing what criminals know about you and your business is the first step to setting things right. Resetting stolen passwords and addressing the enterprise access points that have been stolen by malware helps you protect your business from ransomware, account takeovers, and online fraud. With SpyCloud, you have a trusted partner to fight the good fight with. Their automated solutions, which is built on over 350 billion recaptured assets from the criminal underground, ensure you're not in the dark when it comes to your company's exposure to cybercrime. To get your full Darknet exposure report, visit spycloud.com slash That's spycloud.com guys guys listen this episode is pretty serious it makes all other episodes seem like child's play to me i'm even nervous to tell it i don't think i'm on in the fbi watch list now but i probably will be after this episode let me ask you this who is the most sophisticated hacking team in the world It's a team comprised of graduates from MIT and Carnegie Mellon, a team that has created the most cutting-edge hacking tools, a team that can utilize an almost unlimited amount of resources, resources like language interpreters, huge data centers, and supercomputers, a team that has a history of creating encryption methods and building the Internet. Yes, the hacking groups that are inside government agencies, otherwise known as nation-state actors. And most of what they do is considered top secret. So getting one of them to talk on this show is a very special privilege. Nation-state actors are an exceptional group of hackers because they essentially have a license to hack. They work without the fear of legal retribution. They are often tasked with stealing secrets or disrupting the target through connected networks. And it's important that all of what they do goes entirely under the radar and is invisible to the target. Don't ask me how I found this and don't ask me who. But on this episode, we will hear a story from a person who has been in the innermost bowels of one of the most elite hacking teams in the world.
1: Yeah, I spent almost 15 years with the U.S. government running offensive cyber operations, so I have many, many stories.
0: The only way they would agree to be interviewed for this show was if I kept them anonymous and disguised their voice. So what you'll hear is actually a voice actor reading the transcript of the conversation I had with them. You might wonder whether their story is true or not. And I'll tell you what I know. I've been an InfoSec professional for over 10 years. And at one point, my employer sent me to a threat intelligence training. There I learned all kinds of tactics, techniques, and procedures that some of the most sophisticated hackers use. And while listening to this person tell their story, the tactics, techniques, and procedures they use match up exactly with what I learned in class. So I can vouch for that part being true. But for the rest of the story, I don't know. I'll let you decide you'll need some additional information. Pretty much all governments have an intelligence department. The U.S. has the Central Intelligence Agency and the National Security Agency and others. The goal of the intelligence department is to get information on enemies regarding threats to the nation. This is done in the name of national security. In short, governments spy on each other. This shouldn't be news to you. It's been happening for centuries. In the past, spies would go undercover and physically break into places to extract secret data. They were highly trained in being stealthy, being able to escape and evade, and are often excellent drivers. But now, governments rely on computers to communicate, store data, and create plans. This exposes a whole new attack surface. Instead of physically breaking into a building to steal documents, hackers can steal documents from the other side of the globe. They do this to learn about an upcoming attack, or gain knowledge of where the military is going, or to steal plans of a top-secret weapon. Governments are actively hacking into other governments, This is the new norm. Governments have to take their cyber defense seriously, if for nothing else than to protect their data from other governments. But what is it really like when a government hacks into another government? Well, that's the story we're about to hear. So let's ride shotgun along with our nation state actor to hear exactly how they hack into another government. This should be exciting. So strap in and let's go for a ride. First, let's get the mission.
1: A couple years ago, we had a tasking to go after a network that belonged to a foreign government agency. Our task was to get access to it and gather specific information. And the way nation-state operations work is that the cyber elements of a nation-state don't derive requirements unto themselves. They get it from someone else. You know, someone else in the government or in the agency says, We think this information exists on that network, go get access to the network, but that's usually all the task is.
0: This task seems to only have a tiny amount of information. We're only given a foreign government agency's name, some IP addresses, and a general idea of what data to grab. This is nowhere near enough information to get started hacking into that network. We don't know what tools to use or what computers to target once we're in. We're going to need more information.
1: And really the big thing for nation states in particular, where not only the goal is, of course, to get access and collect your information, but overriding that goal is your need to stay clandestine.
0: So not only do we need more information, but we need to get it secretly. There are many reasons to stay hidden when doing this mission. First,
1: there could be political blowback.
0: Another country could become furious if they caught us hacking into it. Another reason not to get caught is because of the equities of our tools, exploits, and infrastructure. Just like James Bond can't afford to lose his top-secret spying technology, a nation-state actor also uses cutting-edge hacking techniques that they don't want the target to be aware of. These hacking techniques can be very expensive and sometimes takes years of research and are worth millions of dollars. So it's imperative that we stay as invisible as possible while conducting this entire mission. Oh, and for this story, let's pick a random country to use as an example target.
1: So let's go with the Peruvian Ministry of Foreign Affairs.
0: The actual target will remain anonymous. The military sometimes uses the term kill chain to describe how an attack takes place.
1: So the military calls this the preparation of the battlefield, but the cyber sort of equivalent to that is...
0: The cyber kill chain. This describes the different phases of a cyber attack. I'm going to explain what that means as we walk through this story. There are seven phases to the cyber kill chain that must be conducted to complete an attack. Phase one is reconnaissance. In this phase, we need to gather information about the target. Like I said, we have no idea what type of exploit to use or what systems to attack. So we begin by collecting information.
1: Now I gotta figure out a way in. So now it's things like passive reconnaissance and mapping. So start figuring out what can we learn about this network without letting them know that we're trying to learn stuff about it. Questions like, how big is the network? What kind of systems are on it hardware software what kind of antivirus is deployed there what is my access vector
0: so the team does a scan against the target network to see what is exposed to the internet and they begin mapping what's visible to the world
1: they have a website they're hosting a web server that's within their environment so that's a box on the internet with like apache tomcat running on it okay so that's good to know so now i know that it's probably a linux box And a web server that potentially has vulnerabilities I can exploit, that's pretty interesting. We find a couple of things like that.
0: Normally, most governments and organizations keep their internet-facing devices up to date. This is important to do because an out-of-date system has a lot more security holes than one that's been updated. But in this case, the web server was not fully patched, which means the team can use a known vulnerability to access it.
1: And we start to come up with some potential avenues.
0: So now we have a potential point of entry into this government's network. But that's still not enough information. It's important to try to understand what exactly is in their network. And it would be nice if we had a map of where to go once we get in. It would also be nice if we know who the people were that work in that office to get a sense of the team that's defending that network. And there are some tricky ways of figuring this out.
1: The way we can do that is that IT and InfoSec people at large are pretty friendly, open, and somewhat stupid often. So let's go with the Peruvian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Between Facebook and LinkedIn and whatever local Peruvian version of Facebook exists down there, I can probably find somewhere between 50 to 100 to hundreds of people that work at that organization that have profiles on those networks. So I can start to collect full names and email addresses and maybe even position titles of people that work in there. So I care about the IT infrastructure, the technical infrastructure. So I'm looking for their IT people and their security people. I bet I can find the systems administrator or database administrator, someone that does IT in that organization who has announced on the internet that they exist. This is their name and email address and this is what they do for that organization. So once I start compiling all of that, I'm going to start looking for things that allow me to tie them to the organization, to the things they're using. The best places to do that are, I mean, Google, but more specifically Reddit is amazing for this. And then the technical forums that belong to products. For example, if I found on LinkedIn or Facebook that Bob is an IT administrator at the Peruvian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, this gives me Bob's full name and email address. I can then use Google to search his name and email address, I find things like Bob's posting on the sysadmin subreddit asking questions about why his Windows 2012 server is acting the way it is, or him asking questions like, I'm running a Windows 2008 R2 two box, that's my domain controller, do I really need to update or not, like, do I don't really want to, but what does everybody think, should I do that? and When I find postings like that, I can link them back to Bob. I can confirm things like, oh, shit, they're running a domain controller on a Windows 2008 R2 box. That's fantastic. We find things in, like, antivirus and security forums.
0: Since our target is to get specific data out of the network, it's likely that data exists in a database somewhere. So the team looks through the people who work there to try to find the database administrator, or DBA.
1: I found a DBA on Facebook or LinkedIn, and he's a senior DBA, he noted that he's an expert on Oracle 11G. Cool. So I can assume that they're probably running Oracle roughly 11G inside their network. And I have a team of people, I have like 15 people who do nothing other than spend eight hours a day for six to eight weeks searching, scouring the internet to collect the names, email addresses, and phone numbers of the people that work for my target organization slim that number down to the ones that work there in the particular roles that I care about, and then scour the internet for everything they publicly put out there. It has to do with anything technical. And that gives us little tidbits about what we can expect to find in the environment.
0: And after looking at the data we've collected so far, we have discovered an incredibly important piece of information.
1: I know the Oracle database that they have in their environment likely has the data that I'm supposed to be collecting.
0: So after 15 people have worked full-time for two months, gathering as much information as they can on the target, we now have a very detailed report. We know who works there, what their roles are, what kind of systems they run, all the way down to the version of software on those systems. We now have a pretty good picture of their environment. Great. So phase one is complete. We now move on to phase two of the cyber kill chain, weaponization.
1: I can now go to my leadership, my management, the ones who ostensibly own the equities that I want to now use, and I can ask them for approval to do what I'm going to do.
0: The equities are hacking techniques used to access a network or exploits. Some hacking techniques are known to the public and are easier to get approval for because they cost nothing to acquire. And if you're caught using the exploit, it's hard to trace it back to us since anyone in the world has access to that exploit. But some exploits are expensive and top secret. These are harder to get approval for because if you get caught, the enemy could learn how to use your exploit. But if you're caught using an exploit that nobody in the world knows about, it narrows down who could possibly have an exploit like that, which could result in the attempted break-in to be traced back to us.
1: So I go to leadership and I say, I have this tasking from these people to go after this network. Here's everything we know about the network. These are the systems administrators. These are the security people. These are the names, email addresses, and phone numbers. Based on data points, A, B, C, D, and E, we believe they're using this sort of antivirus and this sort of hardware. We know they run you know, web servers using Tomcat. We know based on some other forum postings that they got Oracle database instances running on the inside. So we put all that together and with those data points, I derive the tools and exploits that I need to use. Knowing that before I get in, I can get approval to use implant X with exploit Y that are specific to Oracle 11G. So once I build out that case, I can get approval, and that approval is based on the risk posed to those equities, given what I know about the environment. So when I say I know that they are probably running this antivirus and these security tools, I can say that I have these tools and these exploits and that I'm going to deploy in the network that are not detected by that antivirus and the security system that they have. I had now mitigated the biggest risk of getting caught, right, which is AV or security systems flagging my tools or me throwing exploits. And if I can do that, then I can get approvals to proceed and actually execute my operation. So 60 days, 90 days go by, I built what's called a targeting package, and I've got operational approval to use the equities to complete the task.
0: So we now have a point of entry, a map of the inside, and know who to expect to be there when we arrive. We also have all the specific exploits we need to execute this task. This marks the end of our weaponization phase. Phase three of the cyber kill chain is delivery. We need to actually send the exploit to the system in the network. This is where the mission begins to be dangerous. From here on out, any misstep could have terrible consequences, because it could mean being caught. If we were James Bond, we'd now be fully geared up and ready for action.
1: So we figured out here is the internet facing box. The web server that they're using was not patched, wasn't updated, so I was able to actually use the known exploit to gain the right access to that machine. Once I did that, I put an implant down on that machine because it was pretty safe. It was actually a Linux server, and the nice thing about Linux is that, you know, no antivirus, right? So I'm not super concerned. And especially because it's a web server, I don't worry about a user seeing the screen using it and see something weird going on. But anyway, so I get down on that box, sit there for a little bit. Everything looks pretty good. I mean, there's not much to see. It's a web server and it's got a website on it, got a database back end to it. Not a whole lot going on.
0: We are now in the foreign government's network. We have successfully infiltrated it. It's like we've snuck in the building, but we're only in the hallway. Using the data we've collected in the last few months, we know we need to find the administrator's computer to gain control of it. This leads us to the next phase of the cyber kill chain. Exploitation. Because if we can get on the admin's computer, chances are they have all the keys to the kingdom. And by using their machine, we can access anything we want.
1: The nice thing about landing on a server like that is one thing that servers do have is admins logging into them to administer them. And that admin is going to log in, and I'm probably going to be able to capture his credentials, or that admin is going to establish an authenticated session between that server, in this case, the web server, and the admin's machine. And I'm probably gonna be able to float across that authenticated session and move laterally to the admin's machine. There's a variety of ways that you can do that, but suffice to say, it's either I'm capturing his credentials because he's going to log in to administrator, or I'm just gonna use his authenticated session to move laterally over. So the nice thing in this case was that we knew the admin. You know, like I said, we had done a month of open source research. Because we knew we were going to be exploiting the web server, we knew who their website administrator was, we knew the team of people inside that network that were responsible for maintaining the website, the database that sat behind the website, all the code associated with the website. We knew all these people. Web developers are, are like the worst, right? Like IT people post a lot of stuff on the internet, security people post a little bit less stuff on the internet, but developers and web ad- administrators and web admin, they post everything on the internet. It's ridiculous. So we found all of them and all their content and we knew them all by name. We had pictures of all the guys associated with the website. We knew all these guys. So what was great was that once we exploited the web server, we pretty much knew it was going to be one of three people that were going to log in and administer it. So the plan was to simply sit and wait for one of those three people to log in. We thought we knew how they were gonna log in because again, we were familiar with the systems they had deployed. We could tell by the configuration on the web server how we could expect to see them log into that machine. So really it just became a waiting game for us.
0: This episode is sponsored by Forward. Ransomware just spread through your firewall from your development server to your production server. You thought your network was segmented, but it turns out the VLANs were set up wrong and production networks weren't isolated. Your business grinds to a halt while you pick up the pieces and try to recover. Small changes introduce huge risks and large organizations struggle to manage the complexities of attack surface management. It begins at the network layer. Forward Enterprise tells me they're your best chance at finding a fully scalable digital twin software for your network. With Forward, you can view and search your entire network, model attack scenarios with a click of a button, and identify a blast radius in seconds. Get a demo at forwardnetworks.com. That's forwardnetworks.com. Sometimes waiting for an admin to log in can take a long time, days, weeks, months. One trick I've heard that hackers do is to sometimes cause a problem on the web server. Like make the CPU spike or crash an application. But why do this? Well, if the web server is acting problematic, it will result in an admin logging in to troubleshoot it. And when they do, pow, they've just walked into the trap. But in our case, the waiting wasn't that long.
1: So one of the admins logs in. We see it happen. We get the information that we need. We move laterally onto his machine, and we put the implant on his machine.
0: You just heard the fifth phase of the cyber kill chain, installation. We've just installed an implant on the target system. An implant is a bug, a Trojan, a remote access tool that allows us to pretty much take ownership of that computer. For those of you familiar with
1: Metasploit... Just imagine basically something like Metasploit on lots of, lots of steroids...
0: The next phase of the cyber kill chain is command and control. Just because the implant is on the machine doesn't mean it's going to do anything. Someone needs to tell it what to do. And in this case, we now have the ability to remotely access the network admin's computer. This is our command and control over the target computer. We're now very close to finishing our mission. All that's left is for us to take control of the admin's computer and then access the database and take the data we need. So we wait a little while before getting into the admin's computer to not look suspicious.
1: We waited about a day, day and a half to go interactive on the box, actually be using it interactively. Once we were using it interactively while the other person was using it, we were logged on when they were, which is generally the way that works. We started looking at screenshots of the desktop and we saw a browser open and we saw dozens of tabs open in the browser. We started going through a lot of the screenshots and seeing the contents of the tabs, and it was the person Googling this weird behavior that Windows was doing.
0: The administrator's computer that we have infiltrated was acting strange. It was displaying lots of errors, and certain programs were crashing. It definitely looked like this admin had a virus of some kind.
1: And at first we saw that, we were thinking, well, that's weird. I wonder if these problems on his computer predate our presence there we didn't really know, but we had the sneaking suspicion that it had something to do with us. So unbeknownst to us, and the time from when we collected our information initially through the open source, and when we put the implant down, he had upgraded his operating system. He'd upgraded Windows essentially to the next version. Normally the worst case scenario is that your implant doesn't work because it's not compatible, right? For whatever reason. It's not compatible and just doesn't work and that sucks and you're really upset by that. I would have preferred that to be the outcome here. Instead, the implant worked from the extent of it, went down, installed where it should have and began operating as expected. The problem was that it wasn't playing well with the newer version of Windows that was on that box and unfortunately started causing very odd Windows behavior. And that very odd behavior took on like the worst possible version, which was things that were very visible to the user. So now that we're on the box and we know exactly what version of Windows it was, we recreated it in our own lab environment. So I know what version of Windows it is and I know the hardware. I basically rebuilt that same exact machine in our environment and tossed our implant on it and saw that our implant was causing this weird behavior. So this was really, really bad news for us because this is how you get caught, right? It was terrifying from the standpoint of political blowback. These things get like notifications of this sort of stuff goes up to the most senior levels of government, right? Because when you get caught on a network like this, you have prime ministers calling each other. So If things got bad enough, we would have to be informing all the way up through the leadership of the agencies and all the way up into the senior leadership of government. So everybody was very concerned at this point because we had already been on the web server. We had done a lot of work already. We felt pretty comfortable, so we were already deploying pretty sophisticated big implants onto the network. This one that was causing these problems was not a stage one loader. This was a relatively sophisticated actually pretty sophisticated, fully featured implant at this point, that we couldn't afford to lose, nor could we afford to get caught on the network. So once we realized what was happening, you know, this is, again, the government, right? So all the alarms start going off. You have to start telling a lot of people. have to start writing a lot of memos and going to a lot of meetings to try to get everyone up to speed on what's happening, what the risks are and what we're going to do, and of course now the first instinct is to delete it or remove it in your implant. Unfortunately, because it was already causing so many stability issues, the concern was if we try to get to it to delete it, it might make it even worse. We didn't know, so the risk was don't do anything, and right now he just thought that he was having technical problems. Not that there was a security issue, so we thought, okay. The risk is either stay with what we've got and write out the technical stuff and hope he doesn't figure out that it's not actually a technical problem, it's a security problem, or we try to delete it and cause some other weird thing to happen that makes it even worse, and then we're totally screwed. So we decided to leave it and not delete it and sort of take the bet, and it, it got worse for about a week. Because not only do we watch them from Googling for solutions to the problem, like Googling the symptoms that he's seeing in Windows, we actually were reading his emails and seeing his chats with IT people, telling them what was going on and putting in trouble tickets. And, you know, we saw the chat with his IT guy that was like, hey, can you come to my desk at like two o'clock to take a look? And I mean, we started, you know, that everyone started getting very concerned at that point more than we already were.
0: Things are not going well at this point. It's very tense and concerning in the office. The implant being used was expensive and secret. If it was discovered, it could result in tracing it back to the attackers and losing this expensive and secret implant. But at this point, we have successfully completed six out of the seven phases of the cyber kill chain. There's only one phase left, and that's doing the action on the objective. In our case, our objective is to use the administrator's computer to get the data out of the Oracle database. but The team is hesitant about finishing the job.
1: Well, so the problem that it was a big network and we knew the database that we wanted. We knew that there was a database of a particular type that we want to get access to, but we didn't know exactly where it was on the network. And at this point, we have a high risk of getting caught. And the problem is, you know, we're watching them troubleshooting this. And if they're troubleshooting and troubleshooting and troubleshooting, and then at some point they figure out that there's something really wrong here, and we need to call on the security people and start looking a little bit closer, the last thing we would want to, would be to have a wider presence on the network. Even if it's on other machines elsewhere on the network that can, at the moment that your incident response gets involved and starts locking things down, we're screwed. So at that point we want to minimize our presence to the least amount of exposure that we can without losing our access. So for now that minimization was this computer that we're on that's having the problem and the web server that was it and the very very clear without even any debate decision was sit stay quiet don't do anything let this play out because nobody wanted to increase the risk profile until we knew how this was going to turn out
0: so the team waits and watches days go by administrators trying to troubleshoot the errors they're seeing a week goes by he continues to troubleshoot And in the second week, the admin asks for help from IT.
1: Yeah, so second week, the IT people are coming in and they're looking at the computer and we know that they're coming to the person's desk because we see them setting up appointments and we reach this point where we can tell in the nature of the trouble ticket that they've hit a dead end. They can't figure out why, they can't figure out what's happening. They can't figure out the reason for what's happening. They can't locate the cause and it seems non-deterministic to them. We know why it's happening. I know what the implant is doing and why it's causing Windows to behave that way. But since they don't know the implant's there, to them the behavior is entirely non-deterministic. So because it's non-deterministic, they can't devise the technical solution for it and the ultimate solution that they came to was to just wipe it and start over. It was a fancy implant, but it was just user level and it was on the hard drive. So. At the moment they wiped the drive and re-imaged it, we were, we were fine. They removed our implant and we were good. It was a significant relief. Thank God it's over, but you know, holy shit, are we all getting fired? Which is anyone's reasonable reaction to to workplace events like that where things have gone horribly wrong. You're essentially in charge of that group that where things went wrong. it, It was all on me. So there was that moment of, you know, I guess I'll get a box and pack up my desk, but A, it's the government, so no one gets fired, and B, that really wasn't the outcome. There's a whole post-mortem that we did after this to look at what happened, how it happened, why it happened, how to prevent it, and, you know, the determination after the fact was there, there was no negligence at play. No one did anything wrong. This is just... What happened? The chance of us doing two months of research, taking 30 days to make decisions and have meetings and then executing the operation in that 30 days, one of the admins upgrading windows. That's not a super high chance of that happening and we just got unlucky, right? Unfortunately, like those two stars crossed in the sky and that happened. You know, if it had been six months and we didn't try to re-update our information and make it fresher, The outcome would likely have been, uh, you waited too long, right? You should have known that six months, too much can change in six months. But 30 days was reasonable because, I mean, again, it's the government. It takes 30 days to push the paperwork and get meetings and just do the administrative stuff you need to do. So the fact that that happened in 30 days, that guy updated the Windows box, that was seen as acceptable. The only other fallout was when we moved laterally onto that machine, you know, should we have done anything tactically before we put the implant down on that box? And there was this debate on that. Should should we have captured the credentials and just interactively interacted with that machine just to capture things like its OS and antivirus and all that? That was an operational decision that we made at the time. A very tactical decision. But because we had done the open source and we knew what was there, there were seemingly less cause to do it. And that was it.
0: So with the implant cleaned off the machine, the team can relax, knowing their cover isn't going to be blown and their expensive exploit won't be discovered. But what about that initial objective to get access to the database?
1: We actually never got access to the database. Not because of this. It actually just ended up being that the network was configured in such a way that our path to get there was extremely complicated from where we were on the network to where we needed to get to. And like any other business environment, we had competing requirements. So, you know, at some point probably, I don't know, a month and a half after this incident, after this small incident, you know, we came to this point where okay, I know where the Oracle server is. I know who the admins are, but our ability to get to it is complicated. It's going to take a little while. We can do it, but do we want to do it and at the same time I had three other requirements that I had to satisfy, and those requirements required some of the same people that I was currently using to work on this one. So it was sort of like, what do we do? Do we just, you know, cut bait and walk away, or do we just all in and go for it? We decided to cut bait and walk away, and and that happened all the time. Just because I think any hacker, whether you're a nation-state ABT or You know, you're a kid in your mom's basement, everyone knows that it's a lot of luck that stuff works. Only so much thought and intelligence goes into it. It's a lot of luck at the end of the day. And I'd say statistically, in my years doing it, the luck isn't there or runs out more than half of the amount of time. Just because it's hard, right? And getting harder because people are just in general more aware of cybersecurity and information security and they're slightly smarter. Just enough to know maybe not to click on a link or maybe not to visit that website from work or from your work computer and maybe don't click OK when it says Flash needs to update. So there's just enough people that are just enough smarter where this is getting just that much harder every single day.
0: You've been listening to Darknet Diaries. For show notes and links, check out darknetdiaries.com. Music is provided by Ian Alex Mack and Kevin McLeod.